This is Farms Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development, I'm Brian Thompson. In this month's programme, with the 19th UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues taking place in New York in April, we're focusing on Indigenous people's issues around agriculture. Talking to us will be Mattea Galetti, IFAD's lead technical specialist on Indigenous people's issues. Also, our roving reporter, Mara Zgroy, has been out and about and has the latest news from Indigenous people's leaders. Mara's been talking with Walder Tadesi, a board member of the Indigenous People's Assistance Facility here at IFAD, and from Mexico, Dali Nolasco Cruz, a member of the Indigenous Terra Madre Network's advisory board. Also, news on what happened when the Farmers Forum got together here in Rome. Plus, we've got the latest from IFAD's Joanna Veltri about how IFAD does development different. And wait for it, in this edition, we hear from international model, actress and all-round A-lister activist Sabrina Elba, wife of heartthrob acting giant Idris Elba. Remember, we want to hear from you, what do you think about our stories and who do you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch with me at podcasts at ifad.org. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast platform and please rate us. Far too often, Indigenous peoples continue to face discrimination and their voices go unheard. Indigenous peoples have been dispossessed of their lands and resources over centuries and, as a result, have often lost control over their way of life. Worldwide, they account for around 6% of the population but represent 15% of those living in poverty. Indigenous peoples have a special role to play in the conservation and sustainable management of natural resources. Their in-depth, varied and locally rooted knowledge can help the world adapt to and mitigate the consequences of climate change. They have unique food systems anchored in sustainable practices, which are adapted to the specific ecosystems of their territories. Our reporter, Shulia Gamaraj, asked IFAD's lead technical specialist on indigenous people, Mattia Galetti, what IFAD does to support indigenous people in rural communities. Good. Well, uh, our work uh, with the uh, indigenous community started a long time ago. We have almost uh, 30 years of experience. Our work has been um, uh, sanctioned by a policy that was approved uh, in 2009 that gave us uh, the opportunity to avail of two important instruments, the Indigenous Peoples Forum, which is a policy instrument, and the Indigenous Peoples Assistance Facility, which is a specific financing instrument tailored to what Indigenous Peoples organizations can contribute directly, submitting their own proposals and implementing directly small-scale projects. This facility um, aimed to produce results that eventually can be uh, scaled up with our regular programs. At the moment, we have uh, 62 ongoing programs uh, for a total funding of $670 million 
targeting 5.7 million indigenous peoples around the world. This is by far the biggest um, financing provided by any UN agencies. When it comes to results, uh, well, the best feedback is uh, what we hear every time from uh, the indigenous peoples organizations themselves. And this is something they mention even in international events, starting from the most important one, which is the annual permanent forum on indigenous issues, which is held uh, in the spring uh, in New York, where they refer to IFAD as a, as a model of a, of a partnership. And one of the reasons is not only what we do in, in our operations, but also about the how we do it, with a very strong element of ownership and with the fact that um, the two instruments I mentioned before, both the policy and the financing one, are in a way governed by representatives of indigenous peoples themselves. So we are not only able to say that we are investing and supporting more than any other UN agency the work of uh, indigenous peoples, but also we do it in a way where indigenous peoples are in the driving seat. And for us, listening to them, to their feedback, and to receive guidance about what can be done better, what can be done differently, is very, very important. And what are the outcomes from last year's Indigenous Peoples Forum? Last year's forum was focusing on the topic of recognition of traditional knowledge of Indigenous peoples for the purposes of climate adaptation and sustainable development. And this is something that uh, is so crucial because we are in a situation where we need to bridge uh, the gap between the knowledge of uh, local communities, the traditional knowledge, as well as uh, the scientific knowledge. Sometimes these two camps are uh, independent. They, they don't communicate to each other. If we, if we work in, in this regard, let's not forget that indigenous peoples that at the moment are estimated to be 6% of the world population, 470 million people, are custodians of 80% of the world biodiversity. So these are assets that are common goods for humanity. So the forum was an opportunity to collect uh, this knowledge, to share this knowledge, and to give the opportunity also to indigenous uh, people's organizations from all the regions in the world uh, to connect to each other. Um, in a way where we also are able uh, to, to support uh, a call issued by the Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, uh, who reported that despite the fact that the indigenous peoples are working on these issues and are working on this issue on behalf of the whole humanity, the reality on the ground is that these organizations are marginalized, criminalized, and uh, these issues uh, need to be given political support by all of us. Thanks to Mattia Galetti talking to Julia Gimaraj. And don't forget, as Mattia mentioned, the UN's Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues is taking place in New York 13th to 24th April. And more news on what IFAD is doing with Indigenous peoples can be found at ifad.org forward slash indigenous hyphen peoples.
Meanwhile, you can find out more about what the International Fund for Agricultural Development is all about by going to our website, www.ifad.org, and you can also find more podcasts at the same address, forward slash podcast. Coming up, we hear from Indigenous Peoples Champion, Walder Tadesi. Since 2007, the Indigenous Peoples Assistance Facility, or IPAF, at IFAD, has provided small grants of up to 50,000 US dollars for these projects, which improve the quality of life of Indigenous peoples and stimulate economic development. Also, to convert policy commitments into action, IFAD has established an Indigenous Peoples Forum, promoting dialogue and consultation among Indigenous peoples' organisations and institutions, IFAD staff and member states. Now we have the latest from our roving reporter, Mara Zgroy. Thanks, Brian. We recently spoke to Dr. Walt Tades, a researcher at the Institute of Social and Cultural Anthropology at the University of Oxford. Dr. Tades has several years of field experience as an ethnographer among Ethiopian tribes. He has a unique insider perspective on indigenous people's issues, as he himself is an initiated elder in the community of Derechenka in Ngamo, Ethiopia. Tades introduced us to his tribe's views on food, dance, music and communal life. He also explains how we use this knowledge and traditional ceremonies to organize the Thousand Stars Festival, an annual intercultural event to reduce conflict between rival tribes in Ethiopia. But first, we asked him about the cultural value of food within his indigenous community. So, the way food is viewed in the communities I worked with and I come from is quite unique. I don't see it elsewhere. For example, before the planting season, in one community I studied, seeds are kept in the house, under smoke, and women protected. And germinated and in three days they go and plant it. They are the ones who place the seeds in the hole on the soil. In other places uh, the, the planting is ceremonial. First you have to make prayers, slaughter, make offerings to the gods and then carry on. It's the same with the harvest. You don't just go and harvest. You must give the first harvest to your elders then to a certain spiritual kind of center and then consume it within the family together ceremonially and in these communities there is gender and age take the complementary role so children have some role women men it's everybody coming together just like eating where everybody comes together the same in the production and harvesting and so on can you tell us more about your research in Africa to strengthen bonds and create networks between indigenous tribes? Personally, I've been doing that in a, in a different capacity. I'm a program officer for the Christensen Fund. I was building a network of Kenyan pastoralists and Ethiopian farmers, organizing indigenous festivals for indigenous music, um, named uh, the 1000 Stars Festival. Um, in the town of Abamins and another festival I was supporting uh, that was organized in northern Kenya. That way many indigenous groups came to sing together for two to three days and then went back and then came again after a year. So they brought their food with them so they danced together. Groups that were looked at each other as enemies really found good friends to dance with 
and music does make miracles in that sense of creating a bond which you cannot imagine. So you use music as music well as Music and food, yes, for those festivals. To bridge gaps. Yes, yes. Because I was reading some documents from IFAD and in yes. some of the original consultations you were advocating for networking. Better discussion, consultation and understanding because for, you know, projects, the main thing people consider is about building economic capacity and so on. But we see lots of value in intercultural communication of music, food and even sports. That, that builds links and you cannot fight with people who, with who you dance. By, by dance I mean tribal war or conflicts and so on will be minimal. Really people like to dance and come to congregate and to celebrate. Celebrate themselves, celebrate their animals, celebrate their food and you have to create the space and encourage people to express themselves culturally. Do you think this is also a way of protecting your traditional knowledge? That's another way of not only protecting but also transmitting it to the next, to the younger generation. They would learn. The town of Abaminch I was talking about where we had staged the Thousand Stars Festival, the children have become so culturally sensitive to other people's cultures and respectful. And eight years of that festival meant a lot to them. So they were looking forward for the next dancing time. So you're also looking at the younger generations. That's absolutely the main thing. Can you tell us about your experience as a member of the Indigenous Peoples Forum at IFAD? What important milestones have been achieved and what topics are in focus now? I think we have also made good use of uh, our links with them to highlight on Indigenous issues to make them sensitive to the businesses of indigenous people in the countries where they work and for them to be inclusive in their projects and other things. So I think we've been interactive and um, I think the forum members are, are very sensible. This is the only place where we have a slice of some funding for indigenous people at IFAR. Using the forum was a chance to network with other indigenous leaders from different cultures that you wouldn't have had the chance otherwise. Um, you would not have the chance otherwise. The thing is, for indigenous people, it's important to physically be in a place, physically meet people, physically speak and express your thing and answer questions. That was Dr. Waldek Tadesse talking to our roving reporter Maras Groy about intercultural events as a means to reduce conflict and transmit traditional knowledge to the younger generation. Tadesse is a board member of the Indigenous Peoples Assistance Facility here at IFAD, a dedicated fund that supports development projects designed and implemented by Indigenous Peoples communities and their organizations. Meanwhile, go to ifad.org forward slash podcasts to hear our other podcasts. In episode four, we have news on fighting gender inequality in Uganda. In episode three, we talk youth and how better opportunities need to be created to keep young people in agriculture. And in episode two, the head of the Green Climate Fund gives us an update. All that and lots more in Farms Food Future. But back to this edition. Coming up, we hear from Indigenous Peoples leader Dali Nolasco Cruz.
Dali Nolasco Cruz is an indigenous leader from the Nahawa community in Tlaloa in Mexico. Dali is championing her mother's dream of seeing local indigenous women take control of their own businesses and political rights. She is director of Mopampa, a network of social and solidarity companies that's all about women's empowerment. Dali is at the forefront of the debate on indigenous food and culture with her work in the advisory board of the Indigenous Terra Madre, or ITM network. The network collaborates with Slow Food International to defend and promote neglected and underutilized crops, indigenous food, territories, and biodiversity. Our reporter, Maras Groy, asked Dali to tell us more about Indigenous Terra Madre's agenda. Well, our work at Indigenous Terra Madre Network of Slow Food International is to bring indigenous people's voice to the forefront of the debate on food in the food policy debate, right? We believe that in this international movement that promotes good, clean and fair food, the voice of indigenous peoples must also be there. And who better than us, the indigenous communities who are leading this movement, to say what kind of influence we want to have in these political issues, right? Could you tell us something about this collaboration? Yes, well, first, we all were partners of Slow Food. By that, I mean that we all knew about Slow Food and its philosophy. And many in our communities identified with this philosophy. For example, when my mother first heard about this movement back in 2008, after listening to Carlo Petrini, she loved it. She said, well, what he's talking about, we already do it. It's part of our day-to-day, right? So she said, since we already do it, there are many things that connect us with this philosophy. Let's take this opportunity to make an impact. And so it's been such a nice experience because through Slow Food International, we were allowed to create our own space where we've been able to state our own objectives at a political level. We've created an action plan, and we now have even two international advisors. I think this is exactly how indigenous peoples can make an impact around the world. And of course, we will take the chance to do so. We recognize and admire your passion for women's empowerment. Tell us how you think the role of women should be recognized in your community. We indigenous women have a poorly recognized role in many spaces, within the community, the family, and of course, when it comes to political spaces, right? So I believe that the participation of women in all these spaces is important because the idea of development without the involvement of women is inconceivable. I think we, women, also have the enormous task of deconstructing this chauvinist and patriarchal way of thinking that says that women should step aside, right? It is time for us to be at the forefront of the decision-making process. And I think that we, women, have to fight this all together as sisters. 
esta lucha It's important that we all come together as allies, none of these indigenous versus not indigenous, because the chauvinist system has taught us to see each other as enemies. Every time I'm on a stage in Mexico, I don't know if here in Italy there are sayings like this, but in Mexico there is one that says, Mujeres juntas ni difuntas. This means that starting when we are little girls, we are told that women can't be friends. We can't be partners, we can't be allies, because this will end very badly. This is why what I do in the workshops is, I give the example of the saying, Mujeres juntas ni difuntas, and I tell women that we have to change this saying. I encourage them to change this belief that there isn't any other way. I always say the opposite, Mujeres juntas, Mujeres creadoras, which means that women together can create great opportunities. The patriarchy is afraid of us getting together because when we all get together, well, no one can stop us. You are also part of the Indigenous Peoples Forums at IFAD. Tell us more about your experience in the regional consultations and in the global meeting. Well, this year was the first time I participated in the regional meetings. I think it was an important forum because it's very rare for indigenous peoples to have this kind of opportunity, the opportunity to speak at international level. The regional forum also gives us a space to express ourselves among all the indigenous peoples of the region, in my case, Latin America. It also gives us a way to bring the forum, not only the voice on my own people, the Nahua of Mexico, but also the voice of the indigenous peoples of of any other country in Latin America. Many times, there are these international roundtables, panels or forums that talk about indigenous peoples or indigenous women, and none are present. So I think that we are now taking the lead in these forums and finally expressing ourselves in person. It is very important to listen to other indigenous colleagues from other countries as well. When we talk about sustainability, should we be talking about sustainability in terms of time? Of course, my mom and her sisters are the originators of the Mopampa project in Tlaola. When the project was launched, they said, I have to share this dream with my daughter and granddaughter. I don't want this project to die when I die. We have to leave this legacy to future generations, otherwise this fight isn't worth it. Dali Nolasco Cruz, who recently took part in IFAD's regional consultations for the Indigenous Peoples Forum, speaking there with Maras Groy. And that interview will be available in full at ifad.org forward slash podcast in Spanish. Gracias. I'm Brian Thompson, and this is Farms Food Future. You can hear more podcasts by going to www.ifad.org forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by your favorite podcast platform and please rate us. Coming up, we find out more about the Farmers Forum that was held here in Rome. The Global Farmers Forum is what we call a bottom-up process of consultation and dialogue between organizations of smallholder farmers and rural producers from all over the world. It includes representatives from IFAD and from IFAD's member states. The seventh forum brought together more than 80 farmers' leaders from around the world, 
representing millions of smallholder farmers. I was joined by one of the organisers, IFAD's Fanny Grandval. I asked her how things were going at the forum, which was held last month. Well, this year's Farmers Forum is kind of uh, at a key moment because uh, since the last Farmers Forum 2016, it's the first time we experienced a four years gap and there's been a decentralization of the Farmers Forum. And what is great is that in the meantime, we've had also decentralization of IFAD, so several opportunities to enhance the partnership now in the regions at local level. What would you say has been achieved by the, this organization from the previous forums? What are some of the, the outcomes? It's been 14 years now that the Farmers Forum process has been started and we can see on the ground within the IFAD-funded projects in the countries there have been a tremendous improvement and uh, uh, the farmers' organisations have been able to be capacitated at uh, regional levels, national levels uh, through, uh, for example, grants that have been funded by IFAD and also European Commission. We need to acknowledge that They've been contributing a lot to funding the farmers' organizations and strengthening them has enabled to deliver better projects at national level because their contributions of the farmers' organizations was really uh, expanded. What are some of the, the hot topics that are being discussed this year? We have the climate change issue, uh, which is uh, really important and uh, number one, I would say, on the agenda. How can farmers' organizations uh, promote good practices, uh, smallholder farmers' practices that have been there for ages and that are not well known in order to uh, adapt but uh, also mitigate what uh, the climate change are impacting our, our agriculture but also our food systems. So where do you expect, looking at the meeting as it's ongoing now, where do you see change coming? What's going to be different in the future in the way we do things? Actually, we can see changes because the organizations are changing. They are realizing that they need to modernize themselves and they need to be more youth-inclusive, gender-inclusive, and uh, this is, I think, uh, a good thing. And also, we have the changes within IFAD. You know, we have these uh, new strategies, IFAD 12, uh, an opportunity to design new instruments, financing instruments, and the farmers' organizations are ready because they've been strengthened for ages now, thanks to the Farmers' Forum. They are ready to engage with IFAS to design those instruments and to make them uh, more accessible to the smallholder farmers that are actually our, our target groups. There's been a lot of talk, chatter, about the non-meat diets after the Eat Lancet report last year. What sort of discussions are going on within the Farmers Forum about organic farming? Since the last uh, session of the Farmers Forum, there are new organisations at global level that have uh, uh, been involved in the steering committee of the Farmers Forum. And those are organisations of farmers that are representing organic farmers all over the world. So they are taking, uh, they are having now a voice and they are all always bringing into the conversations the issues of organic farming, agroecology and also the issues of nutrition, because, of course, it is very much linked. Uh, trying to say, uh, to transmit the message that uh, or, uh, organic and healthy uh, food, it's not only for an elite, it has to be accessible to everybody. I imagine also there's been a lot of chatter as well about the fact that SDG2, food security, the UN goal on that, we were doing very well, but now we've slipped back 
in, in recent years. Is there any sort of answer on that from the Farmers Forum? Absolutely. Uh, it's a key challenge and it has been mentioned by the president in its opening speech. And I think that uh, in line with the pressure that we all have to meet these goals um, and also in the context of our 12 replenishment of the fund, uh, a very good sign that has been uh, transmitted in the Farmers Forum is that the farmers organizations also are going to advocate to their governments to uh, contribute in IFAD for the 12 replenishment. So it's kind of a joint advocacy that we are going to have, IFAD on one side, but also the farmers organizations supporting us in our replenishment process. And I think this is a great achievement. We're also not in the middle of, we're at the beginning of the, the, the decade of family farming, nearly one year in and nine years to go. Has this been a topic for conversation of the forum? It is also a crucial topic. And I think uh, under the, the policy dialogue agenda, this is one of the main uh, topics that we've been discussing as IFAD, you know, is in the secretariat with FAO um, uh, for this UN decade of family farming and the farmers organizations, they have been engaged, I mean, to have this UN decade. And they've been also in the process of implementing the global action plan at national level. So how can IFAD country programs also at national level support implementation of these national action plans where the farmers organizations have a crucial role to play and where all the good capacities they received in terms of advocacy can be promoted. So I think uh, yeah, it's a key topic. And we also have the Food System Summit. In 2021, there will be the Food System Summit. And it's also a key moment in terms of policy dialogue for the moment, the FOs, they don't have really a space to be involved in the preparation of this major event. But I think that IFAD will uh, commit to help them be involved in designing this event. Thanks to IFAD's Fanny Grandval telling us all about the Farmers Forum. And meanwhile, you can find out more about what the International Fund for Agricultural Development is all about by going to our website, www.ifad.org. And you can also find more podcasts at the same address, forward slash podcasts. Coming up, we hear from Joanna Veltri about IFAD doing development different and better. One of the main topics of conversation at IFAD's Governing Council earlier in the year was the launch of the latest IFAD replenishment. This is when IFAD asks its partners to invest in its programme of work. Joanna Veltri is the chief of IFAD's America's Development Office in Washington, D.C. She told us that IFAD is a nimble partner for getting money to where the development need is. She also talked about the changing expectations of donors and how the North American market is somewhat different. First, I asked her how IFAD is being innovative in its interaction with donors. Well, I think from my view, one of the things that's very exciting about IFAD is that they're trying to not just put more resources in the field, but to also catalyze more resources from other sources. And so I, one of the ways that I think uh, President Hongbo has really been thinking about this is to bring in, try to use 
mechanisms to bring in the private sector to be more active, especially in terms of integrating the value chain, bringing smallholders goods to market, that sort of thing. And so I think that's one element. And then another element is the idea that we need to try to get money faster into the field. And one of the ways that we hope to be able to do that for countries that have been falling behind is through a system of grants to sort of bring them back to progress on fighting hunger. So yeah, that, those would be the, the main two areas that I think we're adding to, obviously, the normal program of grants and loans that is really robust and is, you know, that we are also trying to take to yet another level. Sort of moving away from the, the, the products and more to what we're actually doing with the, the money, what would you say is the unique selling point of IFAD in that sense? I think there are a number of unique selling points to IFAD. One of the things that attracted me to coming to work here, because I've only been at IFAD for 11 months, is that IFAD is a, is a very small multilateral uh, development agency. And I think that thinness is makes IFAD necessarily agile. So so how would you say you're working with, with donors? How are the expectations of donors changing? Right. I mean, I, I think donor expectations are always very high, and IFAD definitely strives to meet them. One of the expectations, I think, is increasingly that turn our attention to you know, the, the emphasis on climate, of course, and the effects that that's having on smallholders. And then I think increasingly donors want to see us doing more work in low-income countries, in fragile situations. And I, I think that's where IFAD can have a lot of value added, precisely because the, the populations that are affected by conflict are oftentimes rural, are oftentimes uh, the poorest of the poor, and oftentimes hardest to access in terms of uh, government services and, and other things like that. How is, is the North America market in particular different from others? I think there's an emphasis really on the ability for us to get to a level where uh, I think at USAID they like to say the road to self-reliance, right? I think that fits IFAD's model perfectly. So, so in some ways, I mean, you know, you'll find we go oftentimes to Capitol Hill to talk to um, members or staffers on the House side or the Senate side, and we have remarkable bipartisan support. And I think part of that is just a recognition that farming in particular or agriculture businesses are really at the heart of many communities, not just the developing world. But that's true. You know, we have a, a, a very... Uh, robust agricultural sector in the U.S. as well, facing some similar challenges. So, you know, the challenge of youth leaving rural spaces and that sort of thing, that's that's not something that's uh, solely found in the developing world. So I, I do think that that is an angle where we're able to find that sort of bipartisan support. The other thing is, I think that the U.S. is sort of a hotbed for the development of technology around ag. And I do think there's, you know, sort of a, an appetite to try and see how we can find those technological solutions and make them both cost effective and also find the ways that we can connect the people producing that, uh, the technology with the farmers in the very rural settings. So obviously that means we have to make, find ways to make it affordable, find ways to make it fit the particular unique situations in a given country. I do think that that's an, an area where you see a lot of enthusiasm among the U.S. policy crowd, among uh, the private sector, 
and so forth. So I, I like to think that that's, that's an area where EFAD, again, can sort of shine as one of the channels through which we can try to marry the technology that exists with the farmers who need it. Thanks to Joanna Veltri. Coming up, we talk to Sabrina Elba about why she's working with IFAD and is so passionate about the fight to improve lives in rural communities in Africa. You're listening to Farms Food Future. Sabrina Elba is an international model, actress and presenter and also married to internationally acclaimed actor Idris Elba. They've recently visited an IFAD project in Sierra Leone. I asked her what attracted her to working on rural issues with IFAD. So, funny enough, my mom, actually, she had heard about IFAD from um, a cousin of mine who had been working with a woman named Simona, who works very closely with IFAD. And she said to me and Idris, just sort of in passing one day, you know, you guys are so passionate about Africa. Why don't you start talking to organizations like IFAD? We're like, what's EFAD? And then we got in touch with Simona. And she was like, well, if you want to see what EFAD is, then you need to go and see one of the programs. So we took a trip to Sierra Leone. And it was on that trip when we were talking to the farmers and the people in the rural communities that EFAD was helping that we decided that we wanted to work with them. Absolutely. It was because regardless of what those people had been through, the hope that they had because of programs like EFAD was so inspiring and really just affected us that day. I mean, I won't forget the look in the, their faces when they were talking about EFAD and I thought, wow, this, these people are actually making change. It's not just policy that goes beyond the people on the ground. It's the people on the ground telling you that EFAD is helping, which really touched us. So... One of the issues IFAD works on is is the issues of gender and social inclusion. For you, what do you feel particularly attached to the issue of sort of working with women in rural communities? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a black Muslim woman. You know, I grew up feeling like very much a minority and that last person left behind. And I relate to the struggles of women in Africa clearly every day um, by just being a woman. I mean, we feel the adversity all over the planet. But in particular, women in agricultural communities in Africa are so mistreated and so left behind. When we went to Sierra Leone, we met with women whose husbands had left them, who still have all their kids, who are trying to farm in the same way that that the men in the villages are, but absolutely cannot because of the type of heavy lifting you'd have to do. So they're forced to find their own ways and different farming techniques. They can't go to banks to get loans because no one takes them seriously. I mean, it was just, it was heartbreaking. So, I mean, just as a woman to another woman, I, I mean, anything that I could do to help, I think, and through EFAD, that seems a little bit more possible. Um, so, you know, we had conversations with what they're doing, and I'm actually, as you know, going to have a conversation with a gender specialist today to hear what we can do, what the options are. And I, I love that IFAD just, it's no, no person's left behind. And that's very inspiring to us. No, it, no woman, no child, no man. It's always that the last person standing will get some help. And I think for gender equality issues, that's very important to keep a, a full umbrella of all of the issues. This month, we're, we're celebrating International Women's Day. 
would you have a particular message for that day? Women are strong. I think people forget that. There's a picture of, and maybe I even myself just painted a picture of the, you know, the suffering African women, but women are strong and they deal with adversity and they come up on top. And these women that we met in Sierra Leone, you know, found different farming techniques and grew different crops and are still surviving. And their husbands that left them are, you know, doing God knows what. Well, they're taking care of the four children that they were left behind with and still farming and trying to figure out how they can make ends meet. And I think people forget that, and I want people to remember how strong women are. Thanks to Sabrina Elba. That brings this edition of Farms Food Future to a close. Thanks to our producer, Francesco Menetti, and our reporters, Carolyn Silao Herrera, Mara Zgroy, and Julia Gimaraj, and everyone who's worked on this program. But as always, most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. You can find out more about any of these stories at www.ifad.org forward slash podcast. Remember, we want to hear from you. What do you think about our stories and issues discussed? And who do you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch with me at podcast at ifad.org. Send us your voice or text messages to that address and we'll be happy to play you out in the next show. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast platform and please rate us. We'll be back at the end of April with news of all things nutritious. And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you, good for the planet and good for the farmers. Until then, from me, Brian Thompson and the team here at IFAD, Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.